Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. episode 89. I'm Lids, and unfortunately we don't have the beautiful Esther with us today but I do have a very special guest who is also a good friend with me today the incredible Megan Waters or Megsy as we know her is an absolute powerhouse of a woman. I am fortunate enough to work alongside Megsy at Nike as she's the Nike trainer here in the Pacific but she is also so much more than this. Megsy is a proud Waramangu Yaru woman and stands strongly with her Aboriginal culture. Megzi is all things sport, being the host of the Yokai Footy, the owner of her own gym, Airlocker Training in Brunswick, Melbourne, and just an epic voice for change all across Australia. Megzi, welcome to the podcast. Oh, that was such a nice intro. Lucky number 89. 89, I know. We are well on our way to 100. So <laughs> exciting for you guys. I know I introduced you, as we always kind of do with our guests, we do introduce them, but it kind of dawned on me recently that maybe I should give the guests an opportunity to introduce themselves as well. So if I have missed anything, jump in. Um, I want to also give you the space to tell us exactly where you're from about your country and your mob. Okay. I guess a good place to start is um, where I grew up. Uh, I grew up on Larrakia country. So that is up in the beautiful tropics in Darwin in the Northern Territory. Um, And I always say that growing up there for me was just like, you know, I always felt like I was just growing up in a playground because I was always outdoors, always playing sport, running a mark as a kid. Um, And then and then in terms of my mobs, so my grandfather was from Tennant Creek originally, which is uh, Waramungu, my Waramungu side. And then on my nana's side, um, so my, both my mum's parents, my nana was from Broome um, and that's my Yaru side. But I always say that they're my mobs, but I um, feel really connected to Larrakia country because, of course, that's where I grew up and, and where my family still is today, most of my family. And yet growing up, I, as I mentioned, being outdoors, you know, I I don't know how many people have been to the territory, but it's pretty much always hot. Um, And as a kid, I just lived in the outdoors. My mum and dad had a big two and a half acre block. So I was always out like climbing trees and I didn't have any siblings, my age group, Um, all my brothers and sisters were quite grown up and adults by the time I kind of came around. So I really sort of entertained myself as a kid. And then, yeah, as I got a little bit older, lived in Darwin up until I was 18, no, sorry, 19, 20, and um, made the move over to the UK, travelled, lived over there for a couple of years after I finished high school, and then landed here in Melbourne. Um, and I haven't and I haven't left ever since. I've been living in Melbourne or, you know, as we say, Nam, uh, for the last 12 years. Mm. So definitely my home away from home here, really settled um, in Melbourne, but get back up to Darwin as much as possible because that's where where family and connection for me really is. So awesome. I definitely want to get up to Darwin. It looks so beautiful. But like it's 
cool because we haven't known each other for that long but I feel like we've known each other for a while it feels like a lot longer than it has been and I know your story like the ins and outs of it but I'm really excited to chat to you get a little bit deeper today and understand just like yeah where you have come from to be in this place you are now which you're like as I said a powerhouse woman you do so much you're always on the go I know you're very busy (laughs) at the moment so appreciate your time but Looking back at yourself as a child, kind of what role did sport play for you when you were a kid growing up? You mentioned you were by yourself a lot. Is mm. that something that kind of kept you engaged? Yeah. So funnily enough, I was a type of kid that sort of bounced around a lot from different activities. Like my dad, he he was always, he's passed away now. He passed away nine years ago, but he really like, I think he wanted me to be like a singer or a movie star or something. He always would like push me to learn piano or put me in drama classes. And those things were great for a little while, but I'd always get kind of a little bit bored. I was just kind of moving from one to the other. So I did ballet, then I went to drama and then um, piano. And once I kind of exhausted all of those things, I found sport at probably the age of 11 where I really started um like loving netball and that kind of brought me into people as well other kids my age and you know as I said because I sort of did grow up a little bit as an only child of course I had brothers and sisters but they were all a lot older um so yeah finding sport for me was was so pivotal at that age because it's where I started to create a lot of connections and and build relationships with people so yeah, it was netball and touch footy as a kid that I like fully immersed myself into. Um, I, I was pretty good. Like with netball, I'd, I'd often get selected for um, te- state sides, state and territory sides. So I'd go away and rep the NT and um, similarly for touch footy as well. And um, that was right throughout my high school years. Um, and particularly, you know, you, you touch on um, like where did I realise as a kid that sport was something that I kind of wanted to be, you know, take a bit more seriously was, and I, and I've talked about this quite a lot, but for me as a young Aboriginal kid growing up in the territory and, and, you know, kind of, for me, my story, I, I, my father is um, from like English descent. Um, He, he was white, white father, um, Aboriginal mom, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander mom. And, you know, I was, I was often kind of a little bit, trying to find my place kind of never really kind of felt like I didn't know where I fit in and and back then you know things like racism is still super prevalent today but like back then it was so much worse you know you'd just you'd hear words being said like it was just roll off the tongue for people whereas you know people are I think a little slightly bit more conscious now so you know, as a kid, that's obviously pretty confusing. And particularly when it's like around your family, family dynamics and stuff as well. Like a lot of places that we would go to with my family, I would hear like my dad's friends say certain words and like, so that was confusing as a kid. It really um, was probably quite a hard thing to embrace culture as a young girl trying to navigate that. But the most impactful thing for me was when Kathy Freeman won the um that race 400 meter race in the Sydney Olympics in the year 2000 and you know she came out there in that gold and green power suit and you know obviously back then draping the Aboriginal flag around her that was just such a like pivotal moment for me as a kid Mm -hmm. um one in terms of being able to 
kind of helped me embrace culture, that cultural side of me a little bit more. But then also too, because I was like, that's what I want to be. Like, I want to be a sports star. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be on the big stages like that. And so that was a really inspirational moment for me. And I think that's where my real love for sport was birthed. Mm, crazy. I I mean, the saying of like, you can't be it unless you see it. And I can't imagine what that would have been like for you. I mean, just seeing women in general, like being on the world mm. stage and seeing how successful women's sport can be, you know, I just can't imagine how powerful that would have been for you, that experience. Did that make you be like, I want to be a runner? Like I want to be a <laughs> track runner? Or were well, you like, I just want to do sport? No, well, I was, I was actually pretty good at um, athletics at, at school. I used to love like when sports carnival days would come around, I was always really good at the um, the sprints, like the 100 and the 200, I'd gas out when it would get to the 400 and anything longer than that. Um, I was really good at, what was that round thing? You got discus? Yeah, yeah. I was sick at discus. Really? Yeah, I was so, so good at high jump. They were my favorite sport, like um, uh, sports on those sports carnival days. So I did love it. But once I kind of found sports like netball and touch footy, especially because it's more of a group mm. Um environment I felt like way more I don't know because I guess now that I'm an adult that's probably helped shape me into being the people person that I am today mm. um you know from being you know naturally you're kind of learning from a young age to age to build relationships and connections with people in sporting environments like that so I I really credit a lot of who I have become today from those earlier years of of developing a love for sport because um teaches you so much about uh, relationship building and, mm. and communicating and and all of that kind of thing mm. and I imagine there must be some similarities or like desire to be part of a community that's come from growing up as an Aboriginal woman and having that part of your family so connected and so supportive and then going into sport and like finding that there as well yeah a hundred percent um you know being a black fella, you naturally are so connected to your family. Mm. Um, for me and like always growing up, family has always been my number one core value. It's just, it's like inherently in us to to be connected to our our, our communities. Um, so I think that's why, and again, like uh, when I reflect on life as, you know, I'm in my mid thirties now, but I really think that yeah, so much of why I am so passionate about community is because of the connections that you foster through, um, yeah, through those relationships and those um, and those bonds that you can create with people. And, yeah, I think you seek that out. Like when you come from that, naturally you kind of seek that out. And yeah. that's what sport provided as a young kid for sure. And you've obviously taken that as a young kid and transitioned into your career being around movement, uh, which we I'm so grateful that you have. We've brought us, it's brought us together. Um, what really like made you want to become a trainer? I think for a lot of people, uh, people get involved in like coaching and training to give back and again be part of a community and support other people. But I mean, speaking from my own experience, there's also like that selfish side of just like, I want to do this for me helping other people makes me feel better what is it about like training and working with people and encouraging them to move that you love well so much of what you just said is the same for me definitely yeah not that I don't think I definitely don't think it's selfish but there was an element for me when I was deciding what to do that I 
knew that it was actually going to benefit me. I, one of the main reasons was because I was really enjoying training at the time. And I thought, you know what, if I don't do anything with this as a profession, it's going to benefit my own training to just kind of learn a little bit more about the body and like correct technique and form. Cause I didn't have a coach at that point, you know, that was the, when I was really getting into it, it was at the point that those BBG, mm-hmm. those, those, ebooks and stuff were really common and so you know obviously not having a a proper coach you're following those things you're not really practicing correct form and stuff so that was definitely a big driver for me but I think the catalyst for me landing in the fitness industry actually stems from you know I mentioned a little bit earlier on about my dad passing away and that was um you know that was a really significant time in my life well one watching the deterioration of him he had um he was diagnosed with prostate cancer and then unfortunately didn't get to the get to it in time and and it has spread and so that was about a two-year journey of from diagnosis to we maybe even a little bit longer actually so you know as you can imagine like that period of um watching your loved one deteriorate uh it was like really hard. And then I remember like, I and I've shared this a lot in, in different conversations, but when it was getting towards the end of his journey, I remember being in the hospital with him and him saying to me, you know, one of the biggest things in my life that I regret more than anything, because he was like a typical blokey bloke, like iced coffee for breakfast, pack a day smoker, mm. like just no... Um, and I mean, I, I shouldn't say a typical blokey bloke because that's being very sort of stereotypical, but he was just like, you know, that older generation, not a, really an awareness of health and nutrition. Not educated. Not educated. Yeah. That's it. Um, and so, yeah, like it, upon reflection, that was, you know, obviously something massive for him. And and I'll never forget that conversation is just like etched in my brain. And then so after losing him, that was a, a really big motivator as to why, you know, I went off and I did my cert three and four. And I, I thought to myself, I firstly, I don't want that to happen to me, but then I want to be able to share that message and inspire my future clients and people to, to know how important it is to take care of your health. Like, mm. and unfortunately we, we live in a, in a society that isn't set up to, to nurture that we are fed processed foods we're so stressed out um so that was that was the main motivator for sure it's crazy we talk about all the time how so much beauty can come from like our most painful experiences and like how challenge can like actually drive change and it's like so sorry to hear about your dad but the fact that you've come out the other side and you've built a career off like one or two things that he said to you you know it's like pretty powerful huge and yeah I I agree and I think you know um you saying that I actually think the most significant things that have happened in my life have come off the back of pain or like just one of you know that was that was an example but then another one for me was COVID like Mm -hmm. that time really you know such a shit time but it also gave me an opportunity to become very reflective and internal. And from that point, my whole, you know, talking about the kind of yokai footy and the media side, that was birthed out of that period because, you know, I was going through such a hard time and I didn't know whether I was bloody Arthur or Martha half of the time. <laughs> am I left? Am I right? <laughs> and yeah, so I, I do think I truly believe in what you just said there that 
sometimes it's the most challenging times that really um, end up being the, the most beneficial or um, significant. Definitely. Can you tell us a little bit more about your Kai Fodi? I find it so fascinating. You are amazing in front of a camera. You're so good at media. Um, I know you haven't grown up in media, but how did you kind of find yourself there? It's so random, you know, and this is one of the things that I truly believe in. It's like, and everything honestly happens for a reason. And I don't know, I'm a bit of, I'm a pretty woo-woo person, I would say. I grew up quite spiritual. My mum and my sister were very much, you know, gratitude and like manifesting like that was in my vocabulary growing up because of them so um yeah fully believe that things just the people that you meet and that's why I I also strongly feel that you just have to give everybody time because sometimes you just don't know what's going to come of it like particularly and I don't know if you've found this but working in the fitness industry and for me it's usually always been group fitness like some of the people that I've met in you know that have come into the gyms that I've worked at and you know you you wouldn't know what they do from a bar of soap like they just come in they're, they're your client and once you get to know them a bit more like I've trained some of the most incredible humans that own these like epic businesses or like have these like amazing stories and and I'm just like whoa once you start to uncover those things about people it's pretty wild and that's funnily enough how Yokai came about so working in the fitness industry for me I um used to work at this boot camp in Elwood which is where I live on the beach and one of their old clients she actually used to do the yoga she would occasionally teach yoga but she would more train there and um Anyway, we, you know, we'd have a couple of conversations in passing here and there. A client of mine through this boot camp during COVID, she randomly reached out to me in my Facebook messages. And I just think, imagine if, because I'm pretty shit at replying to messages and opening messages and stuff. I'm terrible. She messaged me and she was like, hey, I, this is really random, but you've just popped into my mind. I know you don't have any media experience, but you're, you know, you're a good talker. You've got a good personality. This opportunity has come up. We're looking for a female um, Indigenous co-host for this TV footy show that I work on. Would you be interested? And I was like, fuck it. Yeah, sure. Like I had nothing else going on. I wasn't working COVID, you know. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm big on just saying yes to opportunity. So I took myself along to the first interview and they that went really well and they the next step was to do a chemistry catch-up with the co-host at the time and we got along like a house on fire. And, yeah, that's kind of how it evolved. Like it was just pure pure luck. Well, I, I mean, luck I think plays into it, but just so fortunate that I was I didn't ignore that message, that I was open enough to explore the opportunity because from that point on, yeah, my – whole career dynamic has changed over the last three years crazy I'm so on the same page like the I look back on my life over the last 15 or so years and the things that have happened because I've said yes to opportunities have just been crazy yeah and without saying yes who knows where I would be today so I definitely urge people to be yes gals I think like you just never know where it's gonna take you until you need a rest and sleep then you've got to be a no gal (laughs) yeah but also too I think there's an element of like leaning into your what's the word I'm thinking of like not intuition intuition that's it yeah like I just had a really good gut feel about it and I was like you know what I'm just gonna go for it 
Um, so I think knowing to really be able to access that too, because your gut will tell you if, if an opportunity presents and it doesn't feel right. Like I've actually had something come up for me recently and I'm, I'm still sitting on it. And I'm like, I think that's a sign that like, yeah. this is probably not the the right way to go. If I'm not, I'm not excited and jumping out of my bones for it. But do you think that you need to, to be able to get there and to actually tap into your intuition? I'm very much a believer that you need to know yourself really yes. well oh. and movement is part of getting to know yourself. So I always say like, if you want to like make big decisions or you have opportunities and you want to know what's right, like movement is one of the best tools for you to help yourself make that decision because it actually allows you to like disconnect from the world around you blood flow to the brain and then everything else that comes with like movement and sweating and breathing is just like so powerful yeah I couldn't agree more I feel like for me when and this is something that um I've been having quite a lot of conversations with people at the moment about because at the moment I feel like and Liz I know you're the same you're you know you mentioned I'm busy but far out the work that you do like you're traveling here there and bloody everywhere I can never keep up every time I look at your Instagram stories I'm like where is she today um we're in Melbourne today (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I just think um at the moment the world is moving so rapidly and we are not carving out quite enough time to just prioritize things like whether it's movement or whether it's meditation or some form of mindfulness tool um, to just help us access that self-awareness and that clarity. And I know when I'm not doing those things, like at the moment, because my work routine has been a little here and all over the place, I've, you know, been training for the Melbourne marathon, but I got sick a couple of weeks ago. So that's kind of knocked me out of rhythm with movement. My movement practice, my brain has been a absolute scrambled egg like mm-hmm. it just it and when you can see that like you you know it, it's so clear to me why my brain isn't actually working properly and why I'm so much more heightened with my emotions I'm about to get my period like mm-hmm. and I'm just not I don't feel in control and that's when I know if I'm prioritizing my movement practice and I'm you know prioritizing time to just go out and sit in the sun for three minutes close my eyes listen to the sounds around me I'm such a better human Mm, I couldn't agree more and I know that you speak about your mental health very openly which I think we encourage everybody to do both like the highs and the lows that come along with your mental health and I think that you and I are very similar in the way that we are very determined and we're driven to have an impact on the world and the people around us which again can also be really beneficial and detrimental Mm -hmm. because I think you get so much reward when things are going right and you are having an impact, but when they're not, it can really take, or when you're just uh, overloaded with work, it can take a huge toll. Um, I guess for me, I just can't switch off and I can, I'm never really feeling that content with anything I really do. I don't stop and Mm. like pat myself on the back. I just want to like keep going what do you think as a woman we can do better to like just celebrate the wins is there anything you do to find your like time for yourself um well yeah things that you do to just like be content and happy and okay in the moment far out look that just has given me goosebumps because I I resonate with that so much what you just said about you know um you just kind of sometimes feel like you're on the rat wheel and like I've done so many awesome things this year but I probably haven't carved out anywhere near enough time to go, hang on a minute, like just you've just nailed this and you've done this event and you just did this. And 
you just because you're just striving for the next thing and the next thing, it's like you kind of feel like you're always on the anxiety wheel of like prepping for that and, you know, being immersed in the next thing you need to organize. And, um, yeah, what I am doing right now, because what I've found, and this is just where I'm at in my life at the moment, because I've been on that rotation of just go, 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 it's starting to impact so many other facets of my life, my relationships, um, my energy, my health. Like I got so sick three weeks ago and it's still lingering. I've got this annoying chesty cough now, bloody meant to run a half marathon at Malmara. I will do, but it will definitely be so much harder. But all these things have come about because my body is telling me and the circumstances that are transpiring or around me are telling me, you need to carve out time, girl. Like, so some of the things that I'm doing at the moment is, um, I, you know, I just bought a 10 pack for this breath work place um that's near me to just like keep myself accountable to actually go somewhere whether it whether it's breath work or meditation or that's just an example of something that I know works for me and helps helps me get grounded and um that is a big thing just just prioritizing the things that you know make you feel good um but also journaling like I'm such a big advocate for uh carving out space to to journal because you know I'm not a very I'm a pretty like modest I don't really like to talk about myself too much it's a bit uncomfortable even when people say to me like oh Megsy killing it or whatever I'm like yeah (laughs) yeah but I'm tired you know like I always deflect it's just awkward um but something that journaling allows you to do is actually just be really honest with yourself. Like in my journal, cause I know no one else is going to see it. I'm like, you're a fucking legend. Like you just nailed that. Um, and I think that that can be a really healthy practice. Uh, probably don't do it enough, mm. but it's a work in progress. And I, and I know that when I do do that, I feel so much better for it. Yeah. That's so funny because I was literally thinking on my run this morning, how, there's definitely times where I'm like fuck yeah you killed that or like that's awesome like how amazing that you get to do that or how amazing that you did do that um and I would never like say that out loud to anybody no I'm so embarrassed to sound really like cocky you know but in my head on my run I was like damn I wish I like kind of could say that to people and not come across as a dick and you know what credit to the people that can like one of my one of my sisters like one of my girlfriends she is just so good at celebrating herself like I really admire I've actually never even told that to her but like she does all these epic things and she's like fuck yeah, I'm a boss, like, you know, and she'll put it on her stories and she'll like say how proud of how beautiful she is. And I'm just like, yes, girl, I love that confidence. I love it too. And I think it's definitely being encouraged more. I think traditionally women have been told to sit down, shut up, sit in the corner, don't make a noise and like just behave essentially. And now women are like becoming these incredible powerhouses, like leading the world, which Mm. is so exciting and change is really happening. And uh, I think it's going to become much more normalized that women come out and say, yeah, I am the boss or I am this and I'm like deserve to be here I'm worthy of it and like people listen up you know which is exciting absolutely and it's about bloody time definitely like I just think my goodness 
and and it does like what you just said about change you know always there's no matter what there is even if we progress 10 years down the track there's always going to be room for better and more and change and and growth but um, it is really nice to see that women are being put in places where previously they weren't and even like that's something even with my work and uh, you know often especially working in, in AFL I'm I'm very much often the only woman on the panel or like the only woman like on the week on the week just past I I co-emceed an event and you know again like you're the kind of the only woman you're speaking to all these these male players and sometimes that can be nerve-wracking but I I really pride myself on being in that space I'm I think I hope this sets the the tone for you know, allowing more women to be visible there. Mm. So yeah, I love it. I'm so, I'm so proud to be, to be a woman and and to be um, in this position that like what you said before, you can't be what you can't see. Mm. And um, it's nice to know that women are seeing me standing on stage uh, at these events. Mm. And um, do you feel a big, responsibilities on your shoulders although you're not a professional footy player you're very much one of the woman faces in footy do you feel like this kind of pressure and expectation that you have to be paving the way for the future of footy for women uh definitely more so um in the indigenous kind of um first nations space I feel that more for sure um I'm so proud to to work in women's footy and but I tell you, those those women that go out there and put their bodies on the line every weekend, they are like far out. Sometimes I sit on the boundary and I watch these these women play and they are so like fearless. And so I think that they're definitely, they're definitely putting themselves on the map for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but yeah, I do, I do working in particularly in in um you know in the in the media landscape in sport I, I think sometimes it doesn't matter what sport you come across especially as a first nations person you come across um situations where there's like racism or you know big issues that impact our our people right now where you know where this conversation about the referendum is so prevalent and um that's where I tend to really feel the pressure. I, I think because, it, and by no means do I have a big profile, but I, I have, I guess, uh, enough of a, um, a following and, and a, a voice, yeah. a presence to, to kind of feel the pressure to have to sort of say things sometimes. Um, and not that it's pressure. I, I also want to, cause I know that I do have the, the power to influence, um, um, and I would never, I would never say anything that I think that I really, truly don't believe in, but it does like the weight of that does sometimes get pretty, pretty hard to carry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at Femi, we're speaking to obviously women, menstruating women, non-menstruating women, people who identify as women, but don't menstruate. There are many minority groups amongst who we speak to, but I think speaking to Indigenous women, like what do you think we can be doing better to support Indigenous women, not just in sport, but like generally in society as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I firstly think that um, actions speak louder than words. And um, 
you know, I think there was a a pretty big, you know, there was obviously a massive movement that that happened a couple of years ago with all the the BLM sort of stuff that happened, which was, uh, you know, you see all these black tiles, for example, go all over your socials, which is really great to know that you, you know, you're supporting that in that moment. But like, if you want to be a good ally and, and really um, you do really care about supporting um, these sorts of issues or or whatever it might be, I think it's it's actually seeking out the information, not relying on your First Nations friends or brothers and sisters or whoever you know to to educate for you. It's up to you to um it's up to you to do the work. You know, we've been we've been doing the work for ourselves for so long. So that would be the first thing is like maybe just, you know, being aware that cultural load for First Nations people is is really heavy and, um, you know, checking yourself first, like can I seek this information for myself um, or what can I do to learn? And there's so many mediums out there. So I would say that like um, to seek seeking out the education but then showing up on the days like, you know, we we often have rallies for Invasion Day or um, for the voice, the referendum. Like if you really care and you believe that you want to support that cause and show up and um and and actually be there to 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 hold the hands and and really show that you are a good ally. Um but I think I think it really so much stems to down to education. Um and we I think there's so many like even useful platforms. One of um, one of my sisters out there, her name's Caroline, and she runs she does a podcast called Yarning Up, where she gets a you know it's mostly all First Nations people, and um, you know just listening in and listening to conversations and actually just really immersing yourself in um, caring about the issues that that affect mm-hmm. us mob. Yeah, we say. It- me like get close to our community to speak to them but get even closer to them to listen there's just like so much education that uh we all need to put ourselves through mm-hmm. to become better allies and better supporters as well and I think you know like also sometimes not being too hard on yourselves obviously I think one of the things that I've always been hyper aware of, especially because I went to a predominantly white school and you know growing up I had you know predominantly white friends it's just the way that it was like I went through that same education system and I as an Aboriginal kid growing up you know I I knew about kind of the history of this the true history of this country because you know my grandfather was part of the stolen generation and all these things it was in in my in my family but like we didn't learn that Mm. we didn't learn it at school so I Sometimes I don't, you know, I don't blame people for for not knowing enough. And and I have so many people say, you know, that sometimes people feel even afraid to say anything because they don't want to say the wrong thing. And um and, and I and I understand where that stems from because we weren't the education structures and systems weren't, especially when, you know, we would have gone to school. They they weren't designed to talk about um the true history of this country. We weren't learning that. All we were learning about was when Captain Cook arrived and that was that was that was our story but it extends so far back from that um so you know also you know don't beat don't beat yourself up it's obviously there's a a reason why you don't know but now we have this amazing opportunity that we have so much resource at our fingertips and totally there's no excuse yeah yeah 
well, we're very lucky to have your voice amongst the community as well. Uh, but we were here and did come here to talk about your running. And I know <laughs> we don't have much time left. But you are running the Nike Mountain Marathon Festival this weekend. I am. I'm doing the half marathon. This is my second half marathon. And, um, yeah, as I mentioned before, it's been a bit of a shame that this time around my training hasn't enabled me to kind of get to the start line in the condition that I kind of hoped that I would um, just because of, you know, being a little bit sick in between. But you know what? At the end of the day, I know that I've done enough work prior to getting sick and um, I just I just love the day, mm-hmm. like rocking up on the day and being around that many individuals who have worked so hard to get to that point is just such an inspiring, like that just carries you all the way. Um, so I wish that I could say that I was a bit more prepared, but I am really excited and I yeah, just can't wait to see everyone on Sunday and, and cross the finish line. And one of my biggest lessons from last year is though, geez, I was so caught up in the like hysteria of the excitement and the day was so beautiful last year. I got to the start line. I hadn't done any warming up, no stretching. (laughs) You know, as soon as I walked in, I saw all the like the Nike fam and it was so exciting. And then before I knew it, they were like, you got to get to the start line. So I think I did a couple of like quad and hip stretches at the start line, ran the thing. All my friends, my partner came to watch the end of the race in the MCG. So, of course, I went straight up to the stands, did cool down. And by the time the afternoon rolled around, I could not walk. (laughs) Well, that's a good lesson. I think definitely warm up this year. That would be really helpful. Cool down. Cool down. Yeah. Probably don't have a large coffee in the morning. (laughs) You know, sometimes you just have to have those practice runs to yeah. get, the, do, get to the real one and, and do it well. So maybe 2023, is it? Yeah, totally. How exciting. So I, um, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see you and spend yeah. the next couple of days together. But um, yeah, it's been, it's always such a nice feeling to cross the finish line and be like, fuck yeah. You did that. I did that. Yeah. We did that. Yeah, it's awesome. I was saying today to someone how, they were asking why I think people are so like keen to run these crazy long distances. And I just said to them, you know, it's so rewarding when you know you've done the work, it's all on you. You get to that start line, you have an incredible experience, you get to the finish line, you know that you did that and like no one else did that, you know. And, uh, there's not many times in your life where you aren't inclined to like lean on other people and like of course the running community and being out there amongst people helps a lot but at the end of the day it's your legs your lungs your mind that got you there and that's just like so rewarding uh the the reward yeah it, you just hit the nail on the head you you if you could bottle that feeling when you cross that finish line even if it's you know if, if it's a five or a ten if you're not a if you're not traditionally you know a, a a runner the first year I did it I was it was a 10k my running journeys evolved so much in a short time and I was so proud to cross the line at at 10k so the fact that you're just showing up on the day is you know you're a superstar just for for getting there definitely well good luck you're gonna have an amazing time I can't wait to see you out there with a big beautiful smile (laughs) thank Uh, you so much thank you so much today I'm sure everyone would have absolutely loved this conversation so we appreciate